Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Fantrax Podcast Network. Fantasy Sports Entertainment lives here. Ovechkin accelerates in. Toe drags gorgeous. He scores! Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life. Presented by Fantrax. Lead pass up to Pedersen. It is Pedersen in shoot. Your source for information and analysis to help you with your fantasy hockey league. Here's your host, Jesse Severe. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, this is Jesse Severe from Fantrax, but I'm not alone. I am now joined by the new official co-host of Fantasy Hockey Life, and that is Victor Nuno. Hey, Victor, say hi to the people. Hey, how's it going, Jesse? Good to be here. Thanks for for the official recognition. I do feel like family even before this, so much appreciated. <laughs> well, we've got Perrier in the fridge, and your real Corinthian leather, leather recording chair will be on the way. <laughs> it's being shipped to California as we speak, so uh, you should be all set after that. And that is one big announcement we have for this this episode. There is a second, second big announcement uh, you know that we are presented by Fantrax and Fantrax HQ. That is not changing. They are a great website. They've been a great affiliation. They have the best fantasy hockey product and, frankly, best fantasy products out there. But in addition to that, I am very excited that we are now going to have an affiliation with the website, The Hockey Writers, which is where Victor writes a lot of his stuff and uh tell us a little bit about the hockey writers victor our new uh, our new best friends yeah so the hockey writers is a really great organization we have they've been around for a long time uh, i'm i'm sort of new to them but uh, really appreciate what they offer i think our niche is kind of digging a little deeper a lot of sites offer game recaps previews those kinds of things uh and 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 sometimes can be a little superficial um but they're usually pretty good and we tend to go a little deeper kind of dig down into uh, some of the numbers some of the hidden stories um looking at lists like you know i did one on the worst uh, best and worst drafts for the sharks you know that kind of stuff top five power forwards you know these kinds of things uh especially when you go team by team, we really kind of get into some of the, you know, fun little histories, uh, draft stories. Where are these players now? You know, I think those are all the kinds of things that we really like to dig into. Um, also doing prospect series. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and I'm mainly covering the Sharks and I do a little bit right now on the Stars for the playoffs and a little bit on the Kings. And, uh, you know, I think one of the great things is that, and what's going to be great for the show is that we're going to be able to have tap into all those experts from all the different teams and all the different, you know, uh, 
there's there's prospect experts and all kinds of different uh really, really smart people. And so it's going to be really helpful to kind of bring them on and, and share the wealth. Because I think that uh, sometimes there's so much content out there, it's hard to it's hard to get it all in. And so it'll be nice to be able to um, listen to what the really smart people have to say. I'm excited. Absolutely. And you're right. This is not a show where we're just trying to break down the game by game. And Hockey Writers has just an amazing, uh, amazing assortment of talent. People doing deep dive digs into what's going on on end of NHL teams, not necessarily fantasy hockey, although there's some fantasy hockey there, but uh, deep digs into teams and specific topics with teams. And I am so excited. I could not be more excited to be bringing on a number of their writers to talk about a number of topics. And you'll be hearing the first one of those, hopefully as soon as next weekend's episode. So uh, yeah, hockey writers, we love them. We're so excited to be working with them. And uh, the fantasy hockey writers of Victor Nuno, prime among them, my co-host here. So uh, with that, we better start getting into the content. We got a full episode today talking New York Rangers with Ben Burnett after this break. And then we're going to get into the good old Dynasty Dig with Victor talking about Rangers prospects. So be back right after this. Let's get to the exciting content today. I will tell you that our next guest, Victor and my guest, uh, is a guy who a couple weeks ago when I contacted him, I said, hey, do you want to talk some fantasy hockey again? He was like, well, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if I'm really in the mood to talk fantasy hockey. And then a certain event happened in the world, and he was ready once again to talk fantasy hockey, folks. And the man I am talking about, number one Rangers superfan, Ben Burnett, frequent friend of the show. And the the event that I'm talking about, of course, is the Rangers being swept by the Hurricanes. No, no, not that, not that. It was the results of the NHL lottery. And here is my question for you, Ben Burnett. First of all, how are you doing? And second of all, Lafreniere, go. It's a lot easier to be doing well when you bring up Lafreniere. I mean, <laughs> I remember going into this. I'm like a real big um, don't get your hopes up type fan in all aspects. So, you, you know, last year and this year, I went into the draft lottery being like, yeah, they've got a shot, but I don't even want to consider what that they could win until like the moment it begins. You know what I mean? At that point, you sort of let your guard down a little bit. And so that's what I did here, you know, like especially having equal odds or like it was more likely that the pick would go to Toronto, Edmonton or Pittsburgh than it would come to the Rangers. So I was mostly just trying not to think about what would happen if they didn't get it. Uh, and then I ended up, you know, screaming and uh, tear, I, I tear my shirt off when amazing things in sports <laughs> happen in front of my eyes. And this was one of those instances. The shirt came off. Wow, the incredible Burnett. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know if I need to have that image, but uh, that's some good stuff. Yeah, and and exciting. It is one of the NHL's big franchises, most exciting franchises, and in terms of entertainment value, this is a this is a situation that is probably going to be really good for the league and its promotion. So, so Victor, what do you think, Lafreniere or bust? Right. Mm, well, I mean, you can't go wrong with Lafreniere, right? I mean, he's amazing. But I would I would just pose that it, it, it might actually make sense to take Byfield for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that I think that they're in a tier of, of their own. So 
you can't go wrong with either of the two, quite frankly. I think Lafreniere will be great, but Quinn Byfield is amazing as well. And, you know, if you just kind of look at um, what they bring to the team, Byfield being a center, being a really large man, very skilled, he, he can really affect the game, influence the game in many ways, uh, in ways that wingers can't necessarily. I mean, the Rangers kind of have a perfect example of an elite winger influencing the game, right, and Panarin, and he does great. But, you know, there's there's certainly things that centers can do um, up the middle and driving play, winning face-offs that, that potentially could influence the game more. And the other thing is that Byfield is one of the youngest in this draft class, and Lafreniere is one of the oldest. So if you just say, okay, what if we just look at what Byfield did this year compared to Lafreniere last year, and it's there's no question that Byfield has the higher upside. So... I know that's a little bit of cheating in terms of it's not quite like that, but they're pretty similar, like just a month or two in either direction and they'd be in different draft classes. So, you know, that's something to consider right now. If you look straight across at like their NHLE, they're pretty similar. And this year they had um, their neck and neck with their NHL equivalency. Um, but, you know, you look at what Lafreniere did last year, he had 37 NHLE and, and, Quinn Byfield had 45 in HLE this year. So that's a pre- pretty big discrepancy. So I think if you're drafting on what they could be, and I don't necessarily want to get into because Rangers need centers, because I don't think you should ever draft on positional need. Um, but I do think that uh, if it's close and because Byfield is so young and he's such a unique player with that that blend of size and skill that I, if, if it were me, I would I would take Byfield. What do you think, Ben? Those are fighting words. Uh, uh, why don't you fight Victor? Uh, that would be exciting for our show and, and having conflict. No, but when the emotions calm down, is there a world where you think Byfield would supply, su- surpass Lafreniere for you? Or is it uh, still Lafreniere is the guy that you've got your eye on? Uh, so it's definitely a super interesting class in the sense that there's a consensus, number one, and there's a player who kind of like the draft nerds are all – equally as high on or in that same tier um you know i'm not somebody who watches the chl i've seen both these players because of international tournaments mostly the world juniors so Mm -hmm. i I, all of my takes are based on received wisdom from the scouting community that i respect including uh cam robinson who i know for sure has a has a great case for going Quentin Byfield at first overall. I think that there's a lot of concern, reasonable concern about overstacking your attack from the left. Like the Rangers now have three left wingers who are better than like if they stack this right, their left wing is going to be better than their center and right wing on every line. And I think that that is tactically not optimal for sure. I do think though that betting on a player to supersede the player who's already at the level that you're looking for is just playing with fire in a sense of if I was a general manager, would I really want to risk my entire reputation on this high profile of a decision when there's a slam dunk? Yes, this player is extremely good and will hit no matter what player like Lafreniere. Like I, I, if, if Jeff Gordon and the Rangers scouting organization had, you know, the exact same conviction as everyone who wants to take Quinton Byfield first. I wouldn't begrudge them, but it seems to me like it's a lot more sensical for an organization to make the Lafreniere pick because their jobs are on the line if they screw this up. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Cam Robinson is the champion of Quentin Byfield right now in the fantasy hockey scouting community for sure. I, I, uh, yeah, that, that will be very interesting to see. I do agree with you, Ben, that you can't, if you get this wrong, you are, yeah, you're done. You're not going to hang around in that position, but it will be a very interesting situation to see a few years from now, which guy we look back on and say was the better coming out from this class. Cause it's a little more ambiguous than it has been sometimes in the past. One thing that has not been ambiguous is the talent at the top end of the Rangers roster for a team that won the number one overall pick kind of on their own merits. Not like they traded into that number one overall pick lottery pick, but a team that got it based on their own record, which is really mid pack in the NHL and not at the bottom, but with our different lottery system this year, they, they climbed all the way to the top for a team in that mid pack they are way ahead of schedule, right, on their uh, their rebuild. They were a very high-scoring team this year, very exciting. 6.49 goals in their games uh, from both sides, that is, combined. That was the fourth most in the league. So you want to see some goals, watch some Rangers. On offense, they were absolutely potent. On defense, they were the opposite of potent, which we'll get into later. Uh, the Rangers had two players who were on 113 and 107 point paces this year between Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad, respectively. And although the Rangers are arguably a rebuilding team, these players had career years and are well into their primes. These aren't just young guys. These aren't old guys. They're 28 and 27, respectively. Is this the top gear for the two superstars Panarin and Zbinijad, and how high then would you go in fantasy for them next year? Yeah, uh, so Artemi Panarin is going to go top five, like top ten at the the lowest. I would say that's that's pretty much chalk at this point. Um, I think Zbanejad is the really interesting conversation that needs to be had because he's going to have a much wider variance in leagues, given the fact that he scored the most goals per game of any player in the league ahead of Alex Ovechkin. And then had a 108-point pace, but he missed a bunch of time, and I really don't think most people are buying him as a 100-point scorer. So despite the fact that he had these ridiculous paces, there I still could see him falling a little bit deeper into the teens, maybe into the 20s in some leagues. So I think that, uh, you know, the fact that he's a center plays against him a little bit, but the fact that he hasn't done this before, that he hasn't been a 40-goal scorer before, I think that... That, those 40, 45 goal, that that range is about right for Zabanajad. And I, I think that he can be an above a point per game player for sure. Whether or not he can get up past 90 points, that that seems, you know, the ceiling to me on a on a good year. And uh for Panarin, I think, you know, this is this is the player he is. He just did it with Ryan Strom. Um, I don't think that if they condensed the lines and put Zabanajad with Panarin that that would add a ton of points to to Panarin's totals. I I think that that's pretty much what we're looking at from him is this guy who can he can do the 110 point season. He's he's a superstar top top 5 scorer in the league right now. Top 3. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Panarin is is no joke. He is exactly where he belongs on the hierarchy of NHL stars and fantasy hockey stars. I, I completely agree with you that he has jumped into that stratosphere with his move to the Rangers. Mika, you and I in the preseason, I know Ben talked about it and we were both sky high on Mika and we're loving the value we got him at. In fact, uh, maybe <laughs> I wasn't planning on bringing it up again, Ben, but 
the Zabinijad draft pick when I was trying to help you out in the preseason is still the, <laughs> was still the dark moment of my entire preseason when I tried to take Mika for you at the last second of a draft and accidentally took Tuka Rask. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we all lived through the experience, and heck, the season got canceled anyway, uh, probably and for I that reason. And finished first. And you still finished first. Doggone it. Yeah. That's pretty nice. That's yeah. pretty nice. But yeah, Mika, to me, I feel like we've been waiting for this year, though. There have always been these injuries that think that held him back. And yeah, he even missed a couple of games this year. But even when he moved from Ottawa, you knew there was a moment coming. And maybe this is the peak. But I, it's, it's not a complete shock to me that Mika got to this level. Yeah, I mean, he's a stud. He's an amazing player, and his goal scoring is just ridiculous. That's why, like... Like I say that his paces are a little high, but saying that he could be a 40 to 45 goal scorer is very high praise. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, might be a little too much to expect. Uh, You never know whether people are going to pay for last year's stats or if they're going to believe in a quote unquote regression that will take him down a notch. In any event, he wasn't and they weren't the only guys at the top end of this Rangers roster who had remarkable seasons. And I'm, it's all good news. I'm excited. You know, I just, as, just as an aside, Ben, every show I've been doing so far is from a team that was eliminated from the playoffs or maybe it didn't even make it into the bubble. And I usually spend half of my interview apologizing that I have to bring up all the bad news to that uh, to that particular guest. And this episode is so different because I feel like I'm going to rave about the Rangers at every turn. We got a couple negatives to talk about, but there are so many good things. And it was at the top end of those forwards. We talked about the scoring, but a lot of the Rangers had career seasons pending restricted free agent, Ryan Strom first full year in blue and red, rather than various ugly blue and orange doubled his point pace, put up 59 in 70 games Eternally about to be traded, Chris Kreider was on a career pace with 45 points in 63 games. Eternal tease, Pavel Buchnevich had a career point pace with 46 and 68. Talk about the second tier. Boy, a lot of teams would love to have this as their second tier of prime forwards. And whether their amazing years come from the context of just all this talent surrounding them and uh, different guys coming into the organization this year, or whether it was individual development that these guys all by themselves got better. It's uh, I think that these are, this is an interesting group to talk about together because a guy like Ryan Strom, I mean, it's playing with Artemi Panarin that that gives that made him into a stud. There were various points where the lines got shaken up, and you know they they would put Zabanajad with Panarin for a bit or whatever, and Strom would just fall off the face of the earth. So th- that's a guy who I think you can. You can grab him in the, you know, 125 to one, like 125 and above overall range and expect maybe you're going to get some points, but not be too heartbroken if, if you end up dropping him after the draft. Uh, Chris Kreider, one of the, the, the thing with Chris Kreider as any Rangers fan and as anyone who's ever drafted him in fantasy can tell you (laughs) is for 20 games at a time, he's your superstar. Like he just goes ridiculous and, you know, uh, a hitter. Uh, volume shooter, really good in these multi-cat leagues, puts up penalty minutes as well. Chris Kreider can be a multi-cat stud, but there are, you know, huge stretches of time where he does not do anything. And that's always going to be the case with Chris Kreider, I feel. 
I think that the shortened season helps elevate the stock a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like it looks like he would have continued that torrid pace at the end of the year, but it's very, I think it's just as likely that, you know, for the last 10 or 15 games, he might've, he might've gone quiet there. So um, definitely some, I think that Chris Kreider is the guy he's always been. You can draft him in that 55 to 65 plus multi-cat upside range, uh, but don't go crazy unless we're, we have reason to, to think about him as being on a top line with Zabanajad and Panarin or some sort of overstocked top line. I think that's kind of what gets lost a little bit right now is that when we project the Rangers, we really don't know how the Kreider Lafreniere and Panarin left side is going to shake out. And so everything is in flux until we know that. And I don't think we will know that even through training camp because David Quinn is not the sort of guy who won't shake up the lines when a team hits the hits a wall. So I definitely uh, I it's going to be frustrating trying to give projections on these guys once the season starts. But um, Chris Kreider to me, same as he ever was. Pavel Buchnevich is, I think, the most line dependent, uh, uh, more line dependent than Kreider, maybe probably less so than Ryan Strom, a little bit more offensive upside on his own, though he does disappear when he when he winds up in the bottom six off the top power play. I think he loses a little bit because he has much less chance of getting up on the top power play with Lafreniere. I'm picturing I'm picturing Laf on that right uh, that right half wall. Um, and so I think Buchnevich is, you know, a guy who can be very productive in the right spot. Uh, but you're not going to be counting on him to be a superstar. Again, a guy that you can grab in the back couple rounds and hope that he has great deployment and he could end up being a steal if that's the case. He's got that kind of upside. Sure, absolutely. There is, uh, yeah, it, all, all three of these guys definitely are in different positions. I know that it seems like in the last few years we're, we're on that Chris Kreider watch for the month leading up to the NHL trade deadline thinking, ah, the Rangers might sell this guy. Well, now mm. I don't even know if that's likely anymore. It's like the, these guys are not in – they don't have to be in sell mode anymore. They they have the pieces potentially to really be kind of exciting, maybe make a little bit of a run next year. It seemed like as the season wore on, that became a greater and greater possibility, even if uh, things didn't quite work out at the restart. So maybe, maybe Kreider keeps a long-term home with this team. Who knows? Yeah, I think there's kind of two two thoughts uh, to what you're saying, Jesse. First one is kind of funny. Like, you could see this being the Rangers' third line next year, right? Like, it, maybe uh, if Philip Heedle can fill in that spot on the uh, on the second line, which I know that that's what would be best for the Rangers, is if Heedle could step into those second-line minutes and, uh, you know, Capocacco as the, the winger on one of those top two lines. Uh, Ryan Strom is a restricted free agent, and there's lots of trade rumors with him just because the cap is going to be flat this year. And he's the guy who doesn't really move the needle. He's probably due five or so million dollars this year, and the Rangers don't really have that kind of money. Um, Chris Kreider, it's that's what I think of when I think about him as well, is it's just really difficult to picture the Rangers, you know, giving 17 million between Kreider or 18 million between Kreider and Panarin, and then also adding Lafreniere. Some of those dollars could definitely go to other positions, including, like I said, the second line center or uh, the left-handed defense. So, you know, this is a team that 
They look good on paper right now. They have a ton of talent, but it would not be shocking to me at all if a lot of changes took place before now and the 21 season began. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about the Rangers cap situations as they come up. Uh, I, I think, Victor, you had a little bit of a take on one of these players. What what do you uh, have to say here? Yeah, I think these are all really interesting. And um, one of the biggest things that jumps out to me is that um, if you look at expected goals rates, you always want to see who's kind of moving the needle at the top in terms of generating chances and not giving up too much. And the Rangers don't have anybody in the good range, you know, even considering Panarin and, um, and Zibanejad, who are great. They're, they're pretty close. You know, they're not like giving up tons of chances and they're generating a fair amount, but they're, they're pretty much on that, on that average line, which is kind of surprising to me. And that might be part of them just doing the heavy lifting with players that aren't as, as, as good as them. Um, but I was kind of surprised to see Buchnevich uh, right there clustered with Strom and Kreider and Fast. I mean, they're all kind of right in the same area, which is a little surprising. And, uh, when I was looking at the individual expected goals model, which, you know, I like to look at that kind of stuff, um, Strom was actually just ahead of Panarin, which is kind of crazy. And that might be part of, like Ben was saying, I totally agree, just part of who he's playing with. Um, but I, I feel like this is a really tricky situation for the Rangers, and they could really hamstring themselves if they end up shelling out too much money for Ryan Strom, because I'm definitely of the opinion that he's not really worth a ton, but he certainly had a career year. And so I kind of feel like you should never overpay the guy playing next to Panarin. Uh, what do you think about that, Ben? I totally agree. I mean, Reinstrom, you can see from the eye test, is not the guy who moves the needle on that line. And I think it's really interesting to hear that he he's... Did you say he's above Panarin in individual expected goals? Like, just barely. He's 20.46 and Panarin is 20.02. That's a... Uh, that to me as somebody who likes to use expected goals as well as a marker is a bit of an indictment of the stat <laughs> like Panarin <laughs> led the league in uh, in even strength points so it, very odd to hear that Ryan Strom you know I would understand it if it was you know on ice expected goals but saying that it's it's his individual goals is uh yeah that's uh that's something it made me scratch my head too <laughs> is it possible that that's referring to like the Panarin setups like what is the is it an individual like the goal scoring not your uh what I'm trying to say is like does this stat count the contributions of the assist maker uh well we have to I have to look closely at what the individual expected goals because this is individual it's not team like you were saying mm -hmm. I, I totally could ex could see um but I believe it is influenced by what's happening around the player. Um, so that certainly could could have an effect uh, on what's going on. Because I, I think there's a few markers that go in, like uh, expected Fenwick shooting percentage. Mm -hmm. um, there's some other things that I have to... I'm not exactly sure. I have to look a little bit more closely. But there are there are some line influences that do come into a, that do that do influence it, of course, because you're talking about guys feeding you the pass, opening up lanes for you. Uh, those things are reflected somewhat in that stat, and and of course, it's not a perfect stat. So I I personally, yeah, I was surprised by that, but I think that that uh, is the individual expected goals. Even though I like that marker, it's being influenced by his line and not necessarily just who he is. Uh, as a player. So yeah, I would, I would really 
as a Rangers fan and as someone who owns him in a fantasy league, I really hope the Rangers do not overpay Ryan Strom for what he did this year. Yeah. And, and really, some guys break models, right? Uh, sometimes we look at these numbers and say, this is what an NHL player should do in this context. And uh, a regular NHL player is not Artemi Panarin. So th- there, there is a possibility that some people are going to overperform statistical models like this. Absolutely. Well, one area, yet again, another area where there were some pleasant surprises this year with the Rangers. When going into the year, I know I debated, I, I heard some uncertainty about who the big player was going to be among the defensemen with the New York Rangers. And as it turned out, there were three fantasy-relevant players, I would say, among the New York Rangers D-men. Anthony D'Angelo dazzled 53 points in 68 games. That's a 64-point pace. Jacob Truba, who was the big exciting ad from the offseason from the Winnipeg Jets, he soaked up 22-34 per game, though he only put up a, a small point pace in the 30s. And then Adam Fox, acquired from Carolina in 2018, broke out in his rookie year, 49-point pace. At 5x5, Truba played the most D-zone heavy role, but all three saw a fairly similar quality of competition as it goes. D'Angelo ended up the clear winner on the power play, but you could argue, like I said, there was three fantasy-relevant D-men here. Saturday Night Live legend uh, Brady Shea was banished to Carolina, so that's one less guy to take up the minutes there. What was your take on the Rangers' defensive core, Ben? Yeah, uh, as somebody who has a favorite team and also plays a ton of fantasy hockey, I don't know if this is a shared experience, but I find I often am more angry with myself for missing on Rangers players than any other team because I feel like I should I should see it coming. And Anthony D'Angelo is not an example of that. I was in (laughs) multiple arguments with folks insisting on how the Rangers were going to play Jacob Truba as a number one power play defenseman. And, you know, they gave him a contract that made me begin to second guess myself. And in drafts, I'm definitely ranking Truba ahead of D'Angelo a year ago. But I was grabbing D'Angelo wherever I could and Adam Fox as well because I could see what was going to happen on the the Rangers' top power play was going to be amazing. And I ended up with shares in both, and they both took over from Truba really quickly, alternating a little bit with the Lions share, obviously going to TDA. Um, I ended up with a ton of Tony D'Angelo shares, and it was wonderful. Um, Maybe one of the worst players to cheer for in the league, but definitely (laughs) um, was very fun to get the results on your fantasy team. Yeah, definitely. Don't follow. Be careful following Tony D on social media. (laughs) I would encourage you not to. Yes, yes, probably. Uh, it's one of those unpleasant things, the uh, difference between the, being the fan of the team and the fan of the player. Victor, who is your favorite of this group? Yeah, I totally get what you're saying, Ben. I When I when I don't see something coming for the Sharks, I, I just kick myself so hard. Like, what? what <laughs> why did I miss that? Um, so I totally understand that take. And I was definitely, it's so funny because I was, I remember we were all pulling our hair out about what's going to happen with the, with the Rangers. And I think most of us didn't really see that coming. Um, I was one of the early, it's funny. I had a sort of an opposite experience because I was one of the early um, proponents of Adam Fox. And I was just so happy, you know, seeing that they acquired him for not much. And I really loved what he did at Harvard. 
And I thought that he could have a pretty good impact, but I did not think he could do what he did this year. And so I had him in a couple of dynasty leagues and I actually dropped him to make room for someone else, which was such a huge mistake. I can't believe kicking myself now that I did that because I could have had, could have had him for free. But what's really interesting about the uh, Fox is that he was, just amazing this year i mean he yeah he didn't necessarily get all the top power play time but as a rookie you just really didn't expect him to do what he did this year he was quite frankly um i I have heard some some chatter about this and i just wanted to kind of mention that uh he probably should have got a calder nomination and i know that hughes and mccarr deserve it and i'm not saying that kubalik didn't deserve it um but what what uh, Adam Fox did this year was so impressive. Uh, I know that we sometimes look at these models of goals against replacement and wins against replacement. And especially if you correct it for per 60, because Fox didn't necessarily have as much time as some of the other guys, but he was fourth in the league or sorry, fifth in the league. And he was a bit ahead of Makar and Hughes quite a bit ahead of Hughes in terms of expected goals and wins. I'm sorry, uh, goals above replacement and wins above replacement which is really, really impressive. You look at the guys that are just ahead of him, like Dougie Hamilton and Jared Spurgeon and guys like Shea Theodore, and Tony D actually makes an appearance ninth on this list. So um, Adam Fox is just really impressive on both ends of the ice, and uh, I think that he has the offensive ability. I don't think it's as high as Tony D'Angelo, and it may not be as high as some of the prospects that we'll talk about, but he's certainly capable of running a top power play, and he showed that he could do that. He can also generate a lot of offense at five on five, but he's probably already, as a rookie, the best defensive defenseman that the Rangers have. I don't know if you agree with that take, Ben. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, The interesting thing about the Rangers' uh, defensive core heading into next year is, like I mentioned before, there is a cap crunch already, and um, D'Angelo could be a casualty of that. So I I would not be disappointed. I mean, to me, overpaying for a guy who is as one-dimensional as Tony D'Angelo is a bad call. Uh, and you'll see that when looking into his his uh, his uh, Gar stats, is that they're extremely influenced by uh, by offense, and his defensive impacts are brutal. I mean, you don't need to look at a calculate or at a <laughs> you don't need to look at a calculation. You don't need to look at a model to see that Tony D'Angelo is lost out there defensively. Uh, so to me, I'm I'm perfectly fine with you know if especially if you can cash in and grab like a third round pick for the rights the RFA rights for Tony D'Angelo like or if you can combine him with Georgiev and and trade him to a team that's desperate for goaltending that's sort of where all the Rangers fans uh that's where the Rangers fans minds are all at as far as trade hypotheticals this year uh and then yeah give that spot to Adam Fox I think that he can be more than capable I think he reminds me a little bit of a Petrangelo type where he he doesn't have the flash of a Makar or a Hughes like he's not breaking the game open and and doing Eric Carlson in his prime level, like cuts through the neutral zone and and getting in on the the goalie alone. But he's just so solid defensively. And he's just one of those players like, like a Miro Haskinen. If you're looking for him, you see how special he is. But if you're, if you're a casual fan, he doesn't jump out at you every time that you watch the Dallas stars. So that's what Adam Fox feels like to me. 
the other thing that I think is worth mentioning here, we've we've largely ignored Jacob Truba, but I do think it's worth saying that, you know, despite being skeptical about him on the power play, I still drafted him everywhere because his peripherals are his per- peripheral rates are ridiculous. And if you did buy into him early, you were probably disappointed in a uh, in a points league. But if you're in a multicat, you you loved it. Like Jacob Truba, again, a super uh, a superstar in those types of leagues. So, a uh, banger god, Jacob Truba. Yeah, definitely. And and Adam Fox did have the best relative Corsi four on the Rangers this year. Tony D'Angelo actually benefited a little bit from a even greater offensive start percentage, zone start percentage than Fox. And Fox was a little bit on the positive side. Truba got the heavy duty. So Fox, a little bit on the offensive side of the ice, but as you said, very strong defensively too. And I know, Victor, one one other note uh, you had on Fox? Yeah. Uh, he. So it, looking at those XG rates, expected goals for and against, um, D'Angelo isn't uh, quite as bad as Mark Stahl, who is probably, uh, along with Brendan Smith and Libor Hayek, the worst on the team. Um, but Adam Fox is clearly the best. He's the only one on the team that's in the good range, meaning he, he generates for and doesn't give up too much against. Um, and Tony D'Angelo is actually, um, you know, a little bit down on the uh, defensive side. But what's interesting is that he's actually not that far further ahead than Adam Fox in terms of generating offensively, which I agree with what you said, Ben, about his his uh, his ex- expected numbers as Warren Gar being driven by his offensive stats. Um, but it's it's funny when you look at it in terms of XG rates, it's not that much further ahead than uh, than Adam Fox, which is which is kind of interesting. And also, Eric Carlson is absolutely still in his prime. Don't tell don't tell the San Jose Sharks that they just paid a hefty amount of money to to believe that. Oh, my, my Eric Carlson, the Albert Pujols of hockey. Um, okay, so uh, let's, talk about some, let's talk about some more rookies. My goodness, we already had Adam Fox, but he was hardly the only prominent rookie on this team this year, Ben. We've got Capo Caco, you mentioned, top of the draft in second position last year. We've got your boy, Philly Heat, Philip Heedle. Uh, we've got uh, Julian Gauthier, who a lot of people thought was just going to be somebody that they used to know, but actually turned out to get some run with the Rangers this year. And, and then you've got Leah Anderson, who also got some minutes in the game. Are these kids going to be able to contribute to this older core in time for the Panarin and Zeba window? Yeah, I think you're totally right, Jesse. This is the window for the team. And so these young players that you're paying below what they're going to be making over the bulk of their career, these are the guys that you need to try and start to win with. You know, this year might feel a little bit early at Lafreniere as a rookie, but this is really when the you have the greatest cap window most likely with the Rangers it's going to be 2021 that they should be targeting that's when Lundquist's eight and a half million come off the books you have a lot more financial uh, flexibility and presumably you have uh, I mean I shouldn't say presumably hopefully you have a cap increase at that point but I mean that's so far down the road to to project where the cap will be or or what kind of contracts people will be signing in the offseason two years from now anyway um yeah, the, a number of really interesting names there. Capo uh, Caco definitely was, I would say, his rookie season was a disappointment among Rangers fans. Uh, you know, one of the forwards who ranked the lowest uh, in a lot of the expected goals and and advanced models uh, that that track the goals above replacement. Capo looked, you know, out of his depth 
this year out there with the big club. And uh, I think that there's a lot of possible reasons for that. I mean, one of them is just, you know, the rookie season getting used to the NHL coming over from Europe. But uh, another piece of that is just that Capocacco basically played for a year and a half straight. He was in so many international tournaments over the over the summer, basically was all over the place playing for the Finnish team. And and then he goes straight into camp with the Rangers and, um, you know, disappointed. I'm not sure that, you know, a guy like David Quinn is the best guy for a developing player like Kako. I know that's why they brought him in was to to get the team from, you know, from scratch to re to to usher in this new generation of the rebuild but he seems like a bit too much of a, a babcock type hard ass to to me when it comes to working with some of these younger gen z players that are now that are now hitting the league so i'm not sure what the what that will look like but i think a lot of rangers fans are extremely optimistic about kako's you know having this time off he looked much better in the bubble in the limited time that we got to see him um, people are people are pretty excited about Capo Caco for sure. As far as the rest of them goes, I think Gauthier profiles to be somebody who could play in the bottom six as a cheap guy who he's obviously getting his legs under him in the league, but he's he could uh, he he has a nice pedigree and he looks like a player coming over from Carolina. So they traded Joey Keane for him, who was a defensive pick that they had a few years ago, and there were high hopes for him. This was seen as, you know, two squads trading from positions of strength in their prospect uh, in their prospect depth in order to bolster areas that they they were looking for a little bit more depth on. So I think that Julian Goche profiles as somebody who can be on that team. Leah Sanderson is a conundrum. I'm not sure how much people are following him outside of Rangers land, but a lot of drama between him and the club last year, and it culminated in him asking for a trade and returning to Europe. Uh, he's going to start over in, uh, I believe, the SHL this year, which I, I think a lot of young players are, including Vitaly Kravtsov, the Rangers' uh, right wing they got in the first round two years ago. Um, but I... That's a that's a situation where, of course, they should be because the NHL isn't going to get going until much later than these leagues. So I'm all for the Rangers loaning guys out to to international clubs in order to get the more experience there. But with Leas, it's beginning to look a lot bleaker as far as his future with the Rangers. Mm. Now, I know we're, we, we uh, don't want to get Victor wound up too quick because I'm going to give him an opportunity in the second segment today to talk about his prospects. But I know you probably have some opinions on these young guys coming in, Victor. What do you what do you think of the rookies who premiered this year for the Rangers? Yeah, we'll definitely talk about a couple of the guys Ben mentioned later. But in terms of Kako, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with Ben. I think that he had a really tough situation. And there's sort of this expectation that we've had from, you know, Matthews and, and some of these recent top picks to just step into the league and, and perform. But it's, it's just really not that easy, especially coming uh, from Europe and, and you know, you're like, what, 19, 18, and, and it's a whole different lifestyle, a lot of things changing and a lot of hockey he played. Um, and I think that that he definitely struggled in terms of trying to meet the expectations of his coach. Um, on the other hand, he had an epically bad... Uh, goals against replacement. If you look at those kinds of models, he was he was one of the worst forwards. Uh, I, I've been scrolling down the table. And I still haven't found him into the 500s. 
uh, in terms of forwards in the NHL this past year. So, you know, that's not good. And when you watch him, he definitely seemed kind of lost. I don't know, Ben, you probably have a take on this, but when I watched him, cause I have him in a couple leagues, he definitely looked like he was trying to do certain things. Like maybe it's just, you know, the thing where you're constantly being taught or being scolded about do this, do that. And it seemed like he was struggling to kind of implement uh, whatever was going on for him. And, uh, and, and I think that I personally have a ton of faith in he's going to figure it out. He's still a good player. I think that he just had a really tough time uh, kind of fitting in the system and he certainly didn't get to play with the best players on the Rangers. So um, that's going to be tough too. So I, I still have a lot of faith in, in Kako. I think in terms of Philly heat, uh, he's, he's, um, you know, he's not, he's not that great. I think that if you're, if you're holding out hope that he's going to be like a, like a top line center, that's definitely not going to happen. I would even question whether he can be a second line center. Uh, he looks more like a, a middle six, uh, you know, forward in terms of, he looks like an NHLer, but he doesn't look like he's going to have a terribly high upside, uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So he looks more like, um, you know, Marcus Johansson is one of the comparables that they have on this NHLE. And I think that that's, that's reasonable. Um, you know, a guy who can, who can handle his own against the second or third tier in the league, um, but uh, struggles against the top competition. And it really depends on who he plays with. So if he gets to play with elite wingers like Panarin, well, then sure. You know, I think he could put up some points. But I think that the Rangers probably are going to want him more in that depth role. And I think that he could be okay. But in terms of a fantasy asset, um, I personally sold all my shares of Philly Heat this last year when he had a little bit of an uptick. So uh, I guess that that kind of shows my hand on him. I think Those this are... year is going to tell us a lot about uh, about Heedle. Um, you know, he's he's still very young. Talk about being young for your draft class. He was one of those guys who profiled as like a mid-second round, third round pick at the time. But he was born September 5th, like right after the cutoff. So it's not shocking to have him... Uh, to have him, uh, you know, be a bit of a slower developer for him to have made the club so quickly, I think is promising. And I, I agree with you. The upside is not a first line center, but if he could take a step forward into being their second line center this year, which, which I do think is, you know, within the, uh, within the realm of ex of possibilities, then I think that the Rangers are laughing. Well, I, I will tell you, uh, people who followed the Mysterious Collective, known only as Average Time on Ice, do know of the Philly Heat move that is made every time he stores a goal. You guys microwave a beer and uh, enjoy that on the Internet. And I am sorry to say that microwaves were not engaged during the bubble games. But uh, just for the sake of that piece of entertainment, I hope that Philly Heat has an improvement next year in his play. Uh, when you talk about some of these players who – Looked a little lost on the ice. Some of them who were just learning on the job, frankly, is, is kind of what we're talking about here. That kind of helps to explain why a lot of goals were let up by the Rangers. There certainly were mistakes because ultimately this was a team. All these good things that we've been talking about did not finish with a particularly good record for all that success. Uh, the defensive end was the problem. And some of that, unfortunately, uh, sacrilegiously, fell on Henrik Lundqvist this year. Now, uh, the Rangers are not short of goalies. There's a whole bunch of them there. There's uh, Alexander Gorgiev, 
who played particularly well this year. And then there's Igor Shostyorkin, who uh, Victor would adopt as his child if he had the chance, because I know that is one of his favorite prospect goalies in all the world. And both of them create kind of a pickle. Now the, the Rangers have to figure out what to do. They got one more year of paying the big bucks to Hank. And then they've got two other goalies who put up better stats. What is happening, Ben, in goal for this coming year and afterwards? Well, you kind of heard me allude to it earlier, I suppose. A lot of fan speculation is that Georgiev is the, the odd man out here. Hank has one more year on the deal, and there's definitely a ton of speculation that Game 2 of the Carolina series was the last time we'll see him don the uh, the blue and red on the ice. I would be devastated. I'm literally wearing my Lundquist uh, t-shirt jersey right now. Um, by far in a way the number one reason why I'm a Rangers fan and my favorite player of all time. I'm going to, you know, miss him a ton when, when he hangs it up. But, um, I also find it really difficult to count him out as somebody who could be a, uh, reliable, a reliable netminder in some role. I mean, I'm thinking of a, a player like Ryan Miller in Anaheim, who's able to come out and be a useful backup for 25 games a year. And when John Gibson goes down, he's able to, well, obviously the Ducks aren't very good this year, but that that's more a function of John Gibson having uh, taken a bit of a step back or having an off year, who knows. Um, so Lundquist is somebody who I really don't know if he's going to be on the opening night roster. It's a little too early to say he could retire or they could decide to part ways. It's still unclear. I do know for sure that Igor Shostyorkin will be the number one goalie on opening night. That seems very easy to portend. And uh, and yeah, I think that whatever happens with Lundqvist will determine what happens with Georgiev and, and so on moving forward. It's almost better that he had that chance in the bubble games. I mean, I, I you know, honestly, we talk about the games, but it, it would have been difficult to see the Rangers advancing very far. They, they probably didn't have anything mm. to make a run. And they did allow Hank to go out for the first couple of games and, and frankly, to to fail. I mean, the, the the Rangers did not rally very hard around him in terms of scoring goals, but he didn't play well enough to put them in the game two games in a row. And yeah, he got replaced for that last one. And while that would be sad, at least it wasn't just that they cut him off and didn't let him have that one last opportunity to to drive a little bit of a playoff run. But yeah, it is, it really is sad to think what happens if Henrik Lundqvist is playing in, you know, Ottawa or some forsaken place next year Ugh. to finish. Why would off you even say career. that to me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you, uh, Ben. Uh, what do you think about this situation, Victor? Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll respect to your, uh, to your sentimental feelings about Hank, Ben. I totally understand. Uh, and, and he certainly has had a legacy that, that I think will be untainted by what happens now. I mean, he's, he's been a great goalie. Uh, it is, it is a tricky situation for the, for the, um, Rangers though. And, and, you know, uh, I sort of went through it last year when my favorite player and longtime captain was, uh, unceremoniously not given a contract by the Sharks and Pavelski uh, showing that he still has a lot left in the tank, you know, and I think that Hank does too. When you look at the uh, goal saved above expected, uh, it it's clear um, that Shostyorkin is the best goalie on that team. And I know it's sort of a small sample size, 12 games, but uh, you know, Hank had 30 games, Georgiev had 34. 
Um, but what I find interesting is that Hank is still better than Georgiev, according to these models. And, uh, you know, looking at the eye test, I sort of I sort of agree, too. And so I, I feel like they have to get an asset for Georgiev because that makes the most sense. And I feel like they keep Hank, they let Shishurkin take the reins. And, uh, you know, that will be a pretty good tandem. You know, I think Lundqvist backing up uh, the, the next era of great of a great goalie um, was, is really good for the team, and they could probably get something. I love your idea of packaging him with, with uh, Tony D. I think that you could get some uh, pretty good, a pretty good return for that, and, and I think that makes sense for them too in terms of not having to pay uh, those guys having a pretty good season and maybe you know getting a, a, a kicking the can down the line a little bit in terms of having to uh, pony up and, and contract situation. So. Um, yeah, to me, it's it's really clear. I also like to look at the Delta Fenwick save percentage because that, to me, helps correct for how bad the team was in front of them. And all three of these guys outperformed what they should have based on the team in front of them, which is pretty fantastic. Um, and and it was it was Georgiev and then Lundqvist and then just Jerkin at the top. So, and he was far and away the best. He's one of the best in the league, uh, Shostjerkin was. And yeah, I could go on and on about how good Shostjerkin is, and I won't. We all know he's great. He's going to be great. And get him any way you can in any league. Well, I know people probably haven't done their formal rankings yet, but Shostjerkin seems like, I'm guessing next year, if he is the unrivaled guy in the Rangers net, he probably goes, I'm going to wildly speculate, he goes like top 10 in goalies next year. He gets the Carter Hart or Jordan Bennington type treatment almost. Uh, I think people are going to be really, really high, or somebody in your league is going to be really high. Where would you guys put them in terms, and start with Ben, uh, in terms of your goalie ranks for next year? I've thought a little bit about my goaltending rankings and tiers for next year, and I think that there's a very mushy second and third tier behind the Vasilevsky I'll say Vasilevsky plus because I know a lot of people want to add other players in there. But to me, to be a top tier goalie, you need to be somebody who has proven that you're not susceptible to having, you know, 890 save percentage seasons. You need to be on a good team and you need to not. Yeah, like I said, like not appear to be a massive liability. So I struggle to put anyone else on the level of of Tampa's. And and also you need to be a workhorse. So someone like Vasilevsky stands out above a Tuka Rask for me, for example, somebody who you see play 40, 45 games and doesn't just doesn't quite have the workload. Uh, Shostyorkin, I could see, I think he will go in the top 10 in a lot of smart listener leagues, a lot of fan tracks leagues. I think that he'll fall much too far if you're playing with, uh, with people who are much more casual. Uh, I, I could see, you know, the Rangers the Rangers being bad this year, having an effect that that causes his stock to fall on draft day in yeah, the the leagues with people who are a little bit less tuned in. I would take him. I think, yeah, I think I would take him as like the fifth goalie off the board, though. Not part of it is Victor's point about the sample size still being so small. It's so weird to see, you know, I'm one of them, but fantasy analysts talking about how goalies are so unpredictable and then buying into Shostyorkin off 12 games. Like, to me, it's it's a lot easier to do, I feel, because I've been waiting for him to arrive in New York for so long, and then he delivered immediately, so it just felt like confirmation bias in so many ways. But I think that with, with Shostyorkin, you're going to get the workhorse, you're going to get a team that's competitive, 
have, and you're getting a goalie who has an incredible pedigree. So he hits a lot of the boxes that you're looking for. It's just still a little bit dicey about whether or not the team is good enough for him to ascend into that like top three, top five uh, conversation. But for me, I, I I could definitely see taking him as the fifth goalie off the board. Yeah. Yeah, and you know we we think about well, this guy's a rookie. You know, give him some time. He's he's several years older than Carter Hart already. He is uh, he is older than Gorgiev. He's older than Mackenzie Blackwood. He's just a little bit younger than Yusi Saros, Tristan Jari, and frankly, a year and a half younger than Andre Vasilevsky. And it seems like Vasilevsky is an established goalie at this point. Uh, so you know, it's it's not that he's a baby. That time that he played overseas has already given him some experience but yeah it's going to be very interesting but I think he is going to get a lot of run next year in the preseason probably more than I'm going to be willing to pay for but it could well pay off that's that's a move that could win you a league because uh, if the Rangers are suddenly resurgent and moving toward the top of that metro with other teams aging out he could he could be a difference maker yeah I totally agree with you Ben in terms of the team having an influence, uh, especially like in most leagues, wins are counted. So if, if wins and GAA, which are really more of a team stat, if those are counted, then I, I would probably fade him a little bit, you know, probably in the 10 to 15 range, maybe even more kind of depends on, uh, I have to finalize my rankings, but yeah, I don't see the Rangers winning a ton of games. And I, I think he's, you know, he might end up still end up, uh, They'll have a lot of shots, but I think he, his GA might not be amazing, although uh, he's still pretty good. But especially in a league where, let's say, just saves and save percentage are counted, I know there are some like that that or that don't emphasize wins as much, then I think that he absolutely could be a top five goalie because he's just that good. And the stats that he can control, like save percentage in particular, I think that he he could already be elite as early as next year. I mean, I know a small sample size, but... The pedigree is there. He's done it in the second best league in the in the world for years now in the KHL. So uh, I think that all kind of points to him being pretty good. But I probably in a redraft league will never get him because I won't I won't draft him that early. I would rather mm-hmm. wait and get a value goalie in the um, you know let lower down on my list. That's just how I tend to value goalies. So in a dynasty format, I would trade close to the farm for him. Uh, but in a redraft league, I'm taking, you know, your guys that are that are falling, you know, 20th goalie off the board kind of thing is usually what I end up doing and uh, ends up working out okay. So the one th- the one thing that I'll mention as far as Shostyurkin's time in the KHL is that he was on a historically incredible team, and you know, GAA is a stat that we associate less with skill than save percentages, and his GAA was just ridiculous the entire time but he was playing on a team that had you know prime Ilya Kovalchuk Nikita Gusev Evgeny Dadonov uh Shepachev, who was a stud in the KHL before coming over to America was on was on his St. Petersburg team so I mean he was on a stacked team so that's the only concern in my eyes about the possibility of his numbers being a little bit inflated and therefore, you know, seeing him for the first time behind a truly porous defense uh, playing 60 games, you know, that that's where you could start to see a few cracks in the veneer. Yeah. And I will say I, I was all geared up to talk about this right as the season got canceled, 
or uh, whatever you want to say happened to it in uh, in March of this year. Shostyorkin definitely looked great when he came in. He is the goalies the the the, goal, the Rangers goalie of the future. But the teams he did play in the games that he played, I don't think he played that many impressive teams. Uh, he had New Jersey twice. He had Detroit. He had the Kings. He had the Jets. Uh, he had San Jose. Sorry, Victor. Uh, in that uh, course of 12 games. So definitely the majority of the teams that he played, other than uh, he, he had uh, very nice wins over Colorado and Dallas, which are still alive in the playoffs. No other teams that are still alive in this final eight were teams that he played against this year. So yeah, we still have probably a level of competition and experience to see. It will just be very interesting to follow. Well, one thing that you have mentioned a couple of times throughout this, Ben, and let's just go ahead and break this down right now is the salary situation that the Rangers are in. Uh, as I said, uh, or I've referred to multiple times, this is not really a rebuild anymore, even though they sent out the famous letter a couple of years ago saying, Hey fans, we are going to go back and tear down and rebuild. Uh, that's not where they are per cap friendly. They're at uh, $65 million committed with an $81.5 million ceiling next year. Only 16 guys under contract. Uh, Ryan Strom, Brendan Lemieux, Philip DiGiuseppe, uh, Anthony D'Angelo, and Alexander Georgiev are all restricted free agents. Yes, Fast and Greg McKegg coming off the books. What are they going to do? Are they going to skip out on free agent signings? Are they going to, you talked about possibly getting rid of Hank or some other players. Are they going to make other trades? What is going to happen next with the salary situation, Ben? Yeah, I mean, they're like most teams. There are a few dominoes that need to fall. Uh, Hank needs to decide if he's going to stick around as a backup next year. Um, and the team needs to decide what they're doing with D'Angelo and, and Ryan Strom. Those are those are the pieces that fans are waiting for to kind of have guidance on what will happen over what's usually the summer months, but this year will be the fall months. So um, you're going to see the team, you know, try to re-sign a Jesper Fast. Uh, he's He's stayed on with the team for years at a very low cap hit uh despite you know somebody who could probably get a few extra million from a from a team he's always the guy who wins the you know the best the best teammate the the guy who tries the hard hardest award on the rangers so just a, a character guy that you'll hear people the sort of character guy you hear uh, the NBC broadcast talk about as somebody you need to help you win. So th I'm sure they love to bring Fost back, but it'll depend on what happens with, with that big three of Strom, uh, D'Angelo and Lundquist. I think the most likely scenario is they try to resign one of D'Angelo or Strom. And then otherwise, you know, maybe they look at, at moving Kreider because they have so much committed on the, uh, on the left wing, uh, presuming they draft Lafreniere, but, um, yeah, I, it's so difficult to say with these three looming contract decisions that that need to be made that that'll tie up. You know, Hank's eight and a half million, but D'Angelo and Strom are probably due for ten million between them if if you're given the bridge deals. Definitely, definitely, that is something you're going to be looking for as the season comes along. Uh, what do you think, Victor? Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree. We. Um... It's funny. I've heard a lot of chatter about Fost, and I, I think he's one of those guys that might <clears throat> might be in a, a little overvalued, and and I think some some team may overpay a little bit for him, which I think will make it a little bit hard for for the Rangers to keep him. I'm hearing some 
uh, like the Sharks especially, we're, we're talking about him. But I know other teams are, are looking and they're projecting somewhere in the three to four million range, which for a guy like that, who is is certainly a good third line driving play kind of guy, but doesn't necessarily score a lot. Uh, that's kind of tough to swallow uh, that cap hit. So I'm not so sure that he's going to end up being back just because of that. And if he is end up back, then I think that that's going to be a little bit problematic for their cap situation. Yeah, you basically can't bring him back unless you're able to get him on a on a sweetheart deal. And and who knows, this might be one of those situations like a Zach Hyman where he's like, oh, I really want to be here, so I'll, I'll take a little bit of a, a cap. I'll take a little bit of a, a pay decrease to to stick around. But I, I think most people are kind. Of, most fans are kind of understanding that this might be it for for old Jesper. Yep. Well, that's also about it for uh, what time we have today, Ben. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, do you have any additional thoughts that you want to get out there about uh, your work? My work, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been so long since I've been doing regular fantasy work that I, I oftentimes forget that I do it when <laughs> I've started forgetting <laughs> that you know this is the, the, the regular stuff. Like you and I, Jesse, we've, we talked like – a dozen times during the last season, but it feels like that was 10 years ago. So um, I am podcasting a little bit. Once again, I'm going to be on Keeping Carlson uh, the day that we record this. I'm sure it'll be out. Um, today is the day of the second round of the NHL playoffs beginning, and we are um, over at Keeping Carlson hosting a little uh, playoff tournament. Uh, Jesse, I heard your episode about the uh, the New Jersey Devils where you were talking about how you actually do not like playoff pools. I fully agree. I also don't like playoff pools. And that's why I created my favorite version of one uh, that we're playing over there. It's basically a survivor pool each round. You uh, Only a few teams from each pool make it forward. And we're cutting down. We had 110 teams, I think, at the beginning. And as of the end of the first round, we're down to the final 36. So I'm going to be hosting one of the drafts over there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Come hang out with me on Twitter, uh, at average at AVG time on ice. I almost forgot the Twitter handle cause it's been so long since we've had fantasy talk, but, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Jesse. I missed being on and Victor. It was, uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you as well. Yes, Likewise, absolutely. Bud. Yeah. I, I love it. And I, I will tell you, yes, uh, I absolutely hate those types of playoff tournaments. Uh, and of course I still entered two of them and flamed out <laughs> horribly. So obviously it's sour grapes. Well, I will tell you three things that I believe about the New York Rangers next year, just as a, uh, just as a parting uh, gift shot uh, take. One of them is the Rangers are going to be a very exciting team to follow and watch next year. Second is they will be on Wednesday night hockey way, way more often <laughs> than their record deserves. And the third is I will end up picking Brendan Lemieux up as a streamer for physical stats multiple times next year uh, if he is still a Ranger, and I will feel so dirty and ashamed of myself. You don't see them as a as a uh, dark horse playoff team, maybe? They will be a dark horse playoff team who gets the most appearances on Wednesday Night Hockey. Right. That is what's going yes. to happen. <laughs> yes, that right. is what's that going to happen. And, 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 you know, that's all right. I don't mind watching them next year better than um, some of the other years. So, all right. Well, thanks, Ben, so much. And we will be back right after a break to talk with Mr. Victor Nuno about the prospects of this team. Okay, we're back. 
And it's time now to talk with our prospect man, Victor, and uh, my co-host, because he has done some preparation, he's done some research, and we want to do the Dynasty Dig. And uh, I think, Victor, the place you wanted to start off is uh, kind of kind of what we mentioned a little bit, unless you have some uh, additional takes on Quentin Byfield and Alexis Lafreniere. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think I really... Um was able to to get that out. I know that I know that Lafreniere is a consensus, and I thought it, I, you know it was kind of interesting when they had the whole draft and and the lotteries, and they had Lafreniere there. And I I don't know. To me, I just thought that was uh, almost a little insulting to Byfield because I really do think those two are in a tier, and I almost would have liked to have them had both, you know, because I I I just I don't know. I'm not so sure. I know that everybody's kind of saying it's going to be Lafreniere, but I just feel like it, it, there's a really good case to be made for Byfield. Um, but I, I like Ben's take a lot. And I know that a lot of people want the sort of safe pit. And certainly Lafreniere is going to be great. So uh, you're not going to mess up by taking him. Not that I think you'd mess up taking Byfield either. But uh, I, th I think it's interesting, especially Ben made a really good point about having all of your stars on the left side. I mean, that is going to be kind of interesting. It's, the whole team's going to fall over to the left side um, <laughs> based on that. But uh, yeah, no, that I think I said my piece earlier. Yeah, it, it will be excited. And I think to some extent, it's partly about marketing. Now that the momentum is behind Lafreniere being the guy, the, you know, not the Connor McDavid, but uh, the guy who gets sold at the highest level, then the secondary guy doesn't get probably sold quite at that level. And so you make him the celebrity and you just sort of assume he's going to be the guy. But in years to come, like you say, we'll find out. So let's just go ahead and take both of those guys off the table. They are not yet Rangers prospects. Neither one of them is. Uh, Kapokako and Igor Shostorkin are already doing their thing in the pros. So among the guys who are in the prospect system, Victor, who is your no-brainer? Nope. You know, it's interesting. I would not have said this a year ago, so a lot has changed. But my no-brainer is going to be Niels Lundqvist, uh, who spells his name slightly different than uh, Henrik Lundqvist, but uh, similar. They're both Swedish. And so Niels Lundqvist was uh, uh, third, the third first-round pick. So we're going to talk all 2018 picks uh, for these main three. And he was the third of those taken in 2018. And if you're not familiar with that 2018 draft, you should go look at how D-heavy it was. Uh, just as a reminder, Darlene went first. Then we had Hughes, Quinn Hughes at eight, Adam Bokvist at uh, – oh, sorry, Quinn Hughes at seven, Adam Bokvist at eight. Uh, most of those guys you're kind of familiar with. And then you had Evan Bouchard, Noah Dobson, uh, Ty Smith, Ryan Merkley, Keandra Miller, uh, Philip Johansson, Nicholas Bodine, Rasmus Sandin, and Alex Alexiev. So all of those guys in the first round are either making an impact or are still highly rated defensive prospects. And so that that draft was just so rich. And the reason I kind of bring it up too is that 2021, next year's draft, I think I said this once before, but I'm going to say it again. You really want to um, think about taking a defenseman next year because uh, like I, for one, in my fantasy drafts, I'm just, I'm probably not going to take a defenseman this year at all in 2020 because even the top two are probably middle of the pack or towards the back end of what you could get next year. Uh, so anyways, back to Lundqvist. He, his stock has risen more than almost anyone this year. Really, really did an amazing job uh, in, in what, he's, what he's been able to sort of accomplish and, and, and 
and uh, improve upon from his draft class. He's an excellent skater. He's got really good decision making. Uh, he's one of those guys that just looks effortless, sort of, you know, flying around the ice. And, uh, you know, he really he's he's good in his own zone. So he's not one of these guys who's just like uh, offensive and, and, you know, like Ty Smith, who we recently talked about, who really had to work at the defensive game. Niels Lundqvist is a guy who's in all situation, you know, projects as like a top pairing, uh, at least top four, probably top pairing defenseman. Uh, he, he could be, you know, along with like Adam Fox, who we just talked about, he could be their best defensive uh, all, all around defenseman, I should say. Um, and so, you know, he, he's pretty exciting. In his first season in the AHL, uh, sorry, in the SHL, uh, he did, he did okay. Uh, kind of like, you know, first first year getting his feet wet. He only had five points in 28 games, and and he sort of did half in the Super Elite and half, which is the lower level, and then half in the SHL. Uh, you know, and then uh, next that was his uh, draft year, and then in his uh, draft plus one year, he had uh, 10 points in 41 games. So you know, also not super exciting. But then this last season, he exploded for 31 points in 45 games, and so that's really what has uh, has risen his stock. Uh, which is a huge jump in NHLE equivalency. So he, he absolutely, and that's as a 19-year-old playing in a league against men that are, you know, much older and more experienced. And he was he was one of the best players there. Uh, so that's that's pretty impressive. He also was great in the World Juniors this past year, 2020, uh, and helped Sweden get his bronze medal. And you know, he he's passed the the next guy that we're going to talk about, Kendra Miller. Uh, he's passed him up. On the depth chart for a long time, Kendra Miller, who was taken ahead of him, has been their top prospect, and and it's been uh, it's been he's passed him. Uh, so that's that's kind of interesting. And Ben kind of alluded to that earlier. I totally agree. If you, I do have some shares of Kendra Miller, and I'm I'm, I'm a little concerned because Lundqvist is uh, seems like he's going to be the the better guy, uh, and so that's definitely something to consider. When I'm looking at guys that are um, project similar to him. It's kind of hard because, as I mentioned, he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't have a super high uh, offensive upside in his draft year. And then in his draft plus one year, it, it grew modestly. But then in his draft plus two year, he exploded. Uh, and so it's kind of hard to find a direct uh, comparable. But one guy I found interesting is Travis Sandheim, who's now playing for the Flyers. And you know he's uh, he's a really good sort of all-around defenseman. He has some offense, but it's not huge. And I think that uh, he he does kind of project similar to Sandheim. And I think that given the offensive reins to run a power play, either one of these guys could do it and could probably put up a fair amount of points. But more than likely, they'll be all around, you know, put up some points like you know thirty to forty points and and be relevant uh, fantasy wise. But uh, unless they get that top deployment, which there's nothing saying they really should. Um, then he, you know, he, he might be sort of a, a good, but not a great asset. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that he actually does look a little bit like Eric Carlson, which I know Ooh. is like, whenever you hear that, uh, yeah, it makes me <laughs> say that too. I think, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to like be hyperbolic here, but his, he, he looks like him in terms of how he skates and how he processes the game. He's a very he's a very smooth skater. He he uh, his his pivoting and turning is really good. Um, they're both Swedish, so obviously you know there's that. Um, but also his decision making, like you know that's something that make 
made Eric Carlson so elite. Uh, and, I, and I do see that a, a, a little bit in Lundqvist. He also won an award uh, for the prospect of the year as a young European player. Um, and so that says a lot. And the other thing that kind of reminds me is that um, their NHLE is sort of similar. So if you look at their draft plus one year and their draft plus two year, it's actually pretty similar. Lundqvist is, is actually better in the draft plus two year. Uh, but the difference, of course, is that uh, Lundqvist has played all of these uh, in, in Sweden and Eric Carlson had his draft plus two year in the NHL when he kind of broke out. So uh, he needs to do it, obviously, in the NHL. But they don't look terribly dissimilar, which is pretty exciting. Um, and, of wow. course, it, it really all depends on, you know, I think Lundqvist could be that guy. I mean, if they give him the power play, which we just talked with Ben. I mean, who knows? Do they get rid of Tony D? Do they give him the power play? Do they let Adam Fox run it? It could even be Keandre Miller. I mean, Truba doesn't seem like he's uh, uh, high on the totem pole anymore, but they have a lot of options, which of course is not what you want in in, uh, your fantasy asset. You want him to be the guy, the chosen one, kind of like Ty Smith is in New Jersey from all indications. But uh, I think what's what's exciting about Lundqvist too is that he is for sure going to be, you mentioned Petrangelo earlier, kind of like that in terms of like he's the guy. That's going to get all the minutes. He's going to get all the situations, all the minutes. And whether he gets the top power play or not right away, I think he's so well-rounded and so good at skating and, you know, in physical shape that he can just play 25 minutes a night and and hardly even break a sweat. So he's a pretty exciting prospect, and uh, I definitely um, have no shares of him and would like to get a couple. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, Nils Lundqvist, definitely somebody who we're keeping an eye on, maybe to a greater extent than we were a year ago. Uh, But now you're running down my guy, my Wisconsin Badger, the man who is already starting to be marketed a little bit by the Rangers, and that is Ke'Andre Miller. But he's still on your radar, right, Victor? Oh, yeah. I still got a lot of time for Ke'Andre Miller. It's just a little disappointing that uh, he, you know, sort of got passed a little bit. But, of course, it really depends on what they do in the NHL, right? You look at Adam Fox, who, um, you know, really showed what he could do this year. And and that's really what it's all about. You got to show it in the NHL. And so we'll see what happens between these two. But Miller is a very different player, though. So he was the 22nd overall pick, and the Rangers actually traded up to get him. They traded their 26th and 48th pick in that year uh, to Ottawa to get the 22nd pick. So, you know, that also shows how much they kind of like him. It's interesting, too, because Ottawa took two defensemen in that with those picks, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker and Jonathan uh, Tychonik. Um, and we talked about JBD in the Ottawa podcast he's a you know he's a decent prospect too so but anyways back to Miller what's really interesting about him is that he is just a physical specimen he's big he's strong he's very athletic and he was a forward in high school and a football star and he was converted to to play defense kind of kind of reminds me a lot of Brent Burns in that way right just just really big and strong but but agile for their size and uh, good skaters, but not amazing skaters. And th- there's a lot of similarity there. And I think if 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 your league is more of like a hits and blocks and multi-category, then then Kendra Miller may be more uh, valuable, just because like he'll have a floor that I think uh, with those peripherals that that might be above Lund- Lundqvist. You think about Lundqvist as as you know, in, like some guys that just uh, you know 
do do a lot to impact the game, but don't necessarily rack up fantasy stats. It's very possible that Lundqvist could be that guy, and and Miller could be the guy who just uh, you know is filling your stat sheet and and providing a lot of value. So that's something that's interesting. He definitely had a down year. Uh, you mentioned what happened in uh, in Wisconsin. That whole Wisconsin Badgers team just did not perform. It was really disappointing, and uh, you know, yep. not exactly sure what happened there. But uh, they had some really they had a young team, so they had a talented team, but it was a young team. So, but still, you never like to see your prospects take a step back, and he definitely took a step back this year. He regressed a little bit. His NHLE went from 26 and his plus one year to 15 in his D plus two year uh, and, and playing a very similar situation in the NCAA. So you never want to see that. Um, so that's unfortunate. But at the same time, you just look at, you know, all the tools that he has and it's still very exciting. It's the kind of tool set that can translate to the NHL, the, the physicality and the good skating and the decision making. He, well, I will say that his decision making is definitely not what Lundqvist is. He's definitely prone to making some bonehead plays every now and then and not not hitting the outlet pass as efficiently but he's still pretty good in fact his uh looking at his transition data um from his draft year it was very high offensively not so great for zone entries uh which is which leads me to believe i'm not sure that he'll be like the offensive star or that play driver that uh some of the other guys we've talked about will be he is pretty good at controlled ed- exits, and so uh, I think defensively he's good at stopping entries. He's good at um, getting out, and so that's why I think he's really good in his own zone and, and hitting and blocking. I think will be uh, uh, up there. So that's kind of I'm I'm adjusting my expectations a little bit, especially just because the emergence of Adam Fox, Tony D'Angelo, the trade of Truba. I think that there's just a whole lot of question marks in terms of where these guys are going to fit in. Uh, but I still think that even if Kendra Miller's a third pairing guy, um, hitting and blocking everything and getting some points, I think he'll be rosterable in most leagues and have some value. I just don't think he's going to be, you know, like a top tier option down the road. Well, one thing I will say, if I don't, uh, if I don't miss my guess here, you've got Truba, you've got Fox, D'Angelo, and Lundquist all as right-handed D-men, and Kendra Miller's a left. So that probably will play in his favor in terms of a potential future deployment. Uh, yeah, so Kay Andre, uh, we'll see what happens with him. Definitely has lost a little bit of the sheen of last year, but still is sort of coming in second in this range of prospects you're talking about. So who is the guy you want to just keep your eye on right now, Victor? So the keep your eye on is, ups, is your the, the first first round pick they took in 2018, and that's Vitaly Kravtsov. And oh my gosh, what a roller coaster he has had in his <laughs> development! It has been up and down, and uh, you know. So so just to kind of recap a little bit, if you're not familiar, so he uh, he was taken ninth overall in 2018. He's a, he's a big. Uh, 6'4", physical, power forward type uh, with, you know, decent skating, pretty good decision making and, you know, kind of just projects to be that uh, bruising sort of power forward that can also score, right, that kind of power forward. Um, And those guys always tend to take a little longer. So we all knew that. Uh, And he had a great draft year, draft plus one year, sorry. And then last year, uh, 2019 was just really bad. And so he went to Rangers camp. 
2019. Didn't quite make it. Went to the Wolf Pack, and after five games and just one assist, he said, "I'm gonna exercise my option and go back to Russia." And he went back to the Russian team that he played for and, and developed Tractor uh, in in the KHL, and. Didn't do so great. Only had three points in 11 games there. And so that was kind of disappointing. So I think a lot of people were disappointed, A, that he didn't stick in the AHL. They went back to the KHL. And then he didn't really do much when he went back to his old stomping grounds. So, but then to his credit, he said, you know what, I'm going to, oh, and actually he got demoted to the VHL, which is the league below the HL equivalent of the KHL. So, but then to his credit, he said, okay, um, the Rangers wanted him back in North America. And he went back to the, uh, AHL Wolfpack, and he did pretty well. He had 14 points in 34 games, and he was actually trending pretty well in the right direction when the pandemic hit. So it's kind of like, what to make of all that? It was up, it was down. It was like people were, I mean, I was, I have him in, in our common league, and I, I was like ready to drop him practically when all this was going on um, early in the, in the year. Uh, I wouldn't do that, but I was really disappointed in what I was seeing and people were talking about him just not even being a bust and being out of the league, you know? Um, so I think my take now is that I really feel like he is one of the most undervalued prospects. And if you can buy on him, you could probably get him really cheap. And I think that he still uh, could, could absolutely provide a lot of value, especially because he has a skill set that most other players on that team doesn't don't have. I mean, kind of think of like Chris Kreider, who's kind of your power forward, but he's like your speedy, you know, kind of get in there and, and he can burn you on the rush. Um, maybe a little bit like Kako in terms of like, you know, really being strong and physical and winning those battles in the corner. Um, I think Kako will get there. He's not quite there yet, but Kraftstoff has that skill set that's really, really good. So uh, he's got potential to be a multi-category guy that could be that could be pretty interesting. And I was trying to look at like comparables to him, especially with this sort of up and down season. And the best one I came up with was Valery Nuchishkin, who is a really interesting guy, too. I mean, he was like, you know, high upside. And then, you know, people were like, he's out of the league. And then he came back. And then uh, it's sort of like post hype and then post bust. And now Valery Nuchishkin is uh, some people regard him as one of the best two way forwards in the league that's sort of under undervalued. Uh, underappreciated and really helps that Colorado Avalanche team with a ton of depth and uh, part of the reason why they're so scary because you know they have him roaming around on your third line uh, that's that's disgusting um, so you know I think uh, if Kraftstoff could be that that would be great and gives you something to think about like I don't think you should think of him as one of your top tier prospects anymore because I think there's so much um, that has been up and down. I'm not so sure he'll ever quite reach that top potential. Um, but certainly in multi-category leagues, I think he's uh, got some some interesting value. If it's a points strictly points league, uh, I'm not so sure that he's ever going to move the le- needle super, you know, dramatically. Just like Natushkin, who, you know, if it's a really deep league, okay. But like generally, most 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 leagues probably don't have him rostered. So. Yeah, that's what I think. I almost traded him in our league, Jesse, and then I and then I decided, you know what, I might as well just hold on and see what he ends up being. Cause uh, I, uh, so I'd, I'd either buy on him or hold on him. That's kind of my take on him. Yeah, and Nichushkin, yeah, definitely not a long-term hold. I will say I know I streamed him a couple of times last year just because he was a nice uh, he was a nice ad when Colorado played a bunch of games. Seems like they had a lot of good streaming situations late in the year so i know i ended up owning him a couple of times and i'm kind of glad to see him break through he had such wonderful 
deployment early in his career. He got to play a lot with Sagan and Ben, and that didn't work. But later on, now he's finally <laughs> matured a little bit, and uh, hopefully he's going to have some kind of career. So hopefully Kravtsov can at least rise to that level. Okay, who are some other guys on this Rangers prospect system that you've got your eye on? Yeah, so just a couple of uh, uh, ones, and, and Ben actually mentioned them a little bit, but I'll just give a little bit more of a take. So Elias Anderson uh, is the 2017 seventh overall pick, and I never liked this pick at the time. I thought they reached way too high. He was sort of a safe pick, and uh, he didn't ever really have a huge upside, but he was projected as being like a you know safe to make the NHL, and they thought that maybe he could be a good middle six center. His his uh, Ben kind of mentioned he he requested a trade. His development has stagnated, and I totally agree. He you know he went to Russia or Russia. He went to Sweden, and um and 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 didn't return for the bubble. So you know he's someone who I think still has potential to be a good NHLer on a different team. It's clear that he does not want to play for the Rangers. I'm not sure the Rangers want him. They just want an asset back for him. That's uh, fair. I'm not sure they're going to get if they still value him as sort of a top center. Um, so in terms of, you know, kind of who he projects at, you know, just that middle six center that, you know, can fill some stats, but I wouldn't expect him to be like even a 65 point player. He might have a lower ceiling than that. Um, so, but I do, I do think he'll be in the NHL. I like his numbers are clearly good enough to be a NHL player. Um, and I think, you know, so if that matters to you and you're thinking about, should I drop this guy? If having just someone who's playing and putting up some numbers is helpful, especially in like a cap situation, then I think he's he's okay for that. Uh, the next guy is Julian Gauthier, who uh, was was originally picked by Carolina 21st overall back in 2016. And he's been pretty good for the Charlotte Checkers um, and, and sort of like that big body right wing that we were sort of talking about with Kraftstoff. Um, so, you know, he, he looks okay. I think that he's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see. This year he really uh, it needs to be in the NHL and kind of show what, what he's got. Uh, and so I think we'll find out this year. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting a ton from him, but I think he could be a good depth winger, um, you know, maybe maybe a, a third liner, second liner, maybe if, if things kind of break right for him. I wouldn't expect that. But he definitely will probably get um, – definitely probably he should get some uh some hits and blocks and and you know kind of maybe some pims hit you know knock people around so if that's important to you with some upside a modest upside i would say then then he's good for that and then the last guy is the goalie so they already have an amazing goalie uh, and they're set for a long time i don't think they need to worry about uh, another goalie unless something terrible happens to shesterkin and i'm assuming they trade georgiev um, but they do have olaf lindbaum who is a Swedish goalie that they took um, back in uh, that they took back in 2018 again in the second round? Uh, great draft for them, by the way. He's not a huge goalie, six two, um, but he was really good in the draft and draft plus one year, and then uh, in the and and he he helped Sweden um, in, in the World Junior, so that's kind of where he made his mark in the 2018. Uh, really did well but then since then he hasn't been so good in the super elite uh and and the shl uh, so he's kind of had a rough couple seasons uh probably um struggled a little bit it looks like and so 
And he's also had a lot of injuries. I think that's the biggest thing. Most people probably don't even remember or know anything about him because he's he's had some serious injuries, including a concussion that left him out for a long time. So struggled a little bit, had some injuries, not sure if they're related, but I think his upside is still really, really high. And we didn't even I didn't even rank him on our goalie rankings we did earlier this year um, because of all this. But if, if if you're like in a league that has very few goalie options, he could be a good one to add to your team because he still has tremendous upside. Uh, it's it's going to be a while though. It's going to be probably two or three years until you see him in the NHL. So if you if you want to grab him and wait, um, and don't be scared by Shesterkin because you never know these guys can get traded. They can um, uh, go to other places, and and you know it could even be a one A one B kind of situation. Not that Shesterkin needs a one B, but uh, the way split starts are going these days in the NHL, he could he could be that guy. And the Rangers should be a good team in a few years. So he's a guy I definitely think it's worth keeping an eye on and see where he fits in the depth in your league. He might be uh, might be a guy that is a free agent and pick him up. Olaf Lindbaum. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I would say, you know, Lindbaum just turned 20 last month. So he certainly has plenty of good years ahead of him. Okay, Victor, it is sounding good. We got lots of good prospects to know about with this Rangers system. It is a bright, bright future, as we have been saying for a while here. So let's uh, go on from that. Anything uh, at Victor Nuno 12 once again, uh, although you're the co-host, man, you're family now. So anything else you want to promote over at Hockey Writers or anything else right now? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, I'll be right back after this to uh, close this out. Hey, was this a good episode or what? I am so excited once again. My new co-host, Victor Nuno, is the man. He brings you all the heat. He brings you all the good information. Well, a couple other things I want to remind you about as we close out this episode. There are a number of wonderful things to look at on Fantrax HQ. Did you know you can already start your 2020-21 Fantasy Hockey League's if you want to get those set up, if you're going to do a dynasty startup, for example, it's never a bad time to get that going. And we'll have a lot more dynasty content as the offseason proceeds. You can read all kinds of great stuff at Fantrax HQ as well. There's lots of articles that are linked in the side of the bar. And there's plenty of stuff for you to look at. If you're into more fantasy sports than just hockey, there are podcasts galore. They've got the Nasty Cast and Fantrax Dynasty Baseball with Van Lee and crew. Uh, there's been a little bit of changes and shakeups in who's doing the stuff there, but it is still wonderful stuff to listen to. Other, the other baseball podcasts you can listen to, the Five Tool Podcast with Eric Cross, Jesse Roche, and Jake Devereaux. It'll get you all the information you want to know about your uh, about your prospects coming up, not just the Fantrax Dynasty, but the specific prospects who are on their way you've got the individual defensive podcast with scott bogman and gary davenport for the upcoming nfl season if you're into learning about those defensive players that is frankly my favorite way to play and i'm already in a couple of those leagues for this year and you've got cff on campus with john lobb and scott bogman uh, it looks like there's going to be a college season. Heck, there could be all kinds of weird college seasons, and who knows who's even going to play. But those guys are hanging with it, hanging tough, and probably there's still going to be a way to play that fantasy sport. And by the way, only Fantrax is going to support that now. Basically, there's nobody else who's doing it. 
They got the kick around pod, a little bit of fantasy soccer action. They got some good content going on that right now. So lots of things to check out. Please give us a follow on Twitter at, at Fan Hockey Life. Please give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast aggregator of your choice. Five stars, uh, lots of nice words. We thrive on it. It is our oxygen. Victor and I just love to see it. And we're very grateful for the great reviews, the great feedback that we have received so far. So this was it. This is the big one. I promised this episode. We got Victor Nuno as official co-host. We've got the hockey writers as official provisioners of con- uh, content. Maybe you even heard this episode by looking at promotion that came through the hockey writers. So I am excited by that. And until next time, folks, thanks for joining us and keep living that fantasy hockey life. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.